The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 485 of the Columbia Calling podcast. What did you think of last week's episode? That was with Maria F. Fitzgerald, interviewed, of course, by Emily Hart, about her new book, that's uh, Los Nombres Que Olvidamos. It's an impacting collection of chronicles, or, uh, well, I would say experiential journalism articles uh, here in Colombia about the conflict and her experiences in different regions. I uh, had the good opportunity, the good uh, good luck to be able to uh, see Maria Fitzgerald talk in person at the Gimnasio Moderno last week about the book and so on. Uh, in fact, she even signed my copy. But at the same time, it's uh, it's a special book. It's an important book. Please do read it if you can. At the moment, I'm on the chapter about the Parro Nacional, and it's taking me right back to 2021 when we were watching the Estallido Social, as they were saying, all around the city and around the country, indeed. So that is an important one to cover, an important one that you should be hopefully listening to and enjoying. This week is no less important, but at the same time, it's very different. And it's something that we've been doing or looking at for quite some time, and it's thanks to the journalist Natalia Malaver, who has been in contact with us here at the Columbia Calling Podcast, wishing to help out and so on and so forth. So I've invited her on since this was something that she looked up. And it's about the Mennonite colony in Meta. How much do you know about the Mennonites in Colombia and the effects of their well, I would say expansion or, I don't know, com colony, community, or so on. It's really an unknown story. And we are joined, we are very lucky, for a brief amount of time. So it's about 15 minutes that he can be with us. It was Oscar Parra, who is the journalist for Rutas del Conflicto. That's rutasdelconflicto.com, which is an amazing media site uh, designed to tell stories and report stories about the Colombian conflict that are not reported in the mainstream media. So I can really, really impress upon you how great that page is if you want to get beyond just the, let's say, the more tabloid headlines regarding the Colombian uh, conflict. So Natalia was able to get in touch with Oscar and we were able to put it together, recorded last week. And it's here now for you, a really great episode. And 
Of course, we must celebrate young journalists wishing to come through, wishing to make their name and so on. So Natalia is on the podcast as well. And uh, give her some feedback. Check out her Instagram page. That's Greenly Bachwe. I will uh, post that on Facebook and so on. Uh, so you can follow it because she is an environmental journalist. And that's what she looks seeks to seeks to pursue in her journalism career. Anyway, please support us on patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. We're into September now. I'm expecting our listener rates to increase as you're all back at work or school or university. And of course, we go over now to Emily Hart with the Columbia News Brief. Thank you again. Don't go away. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own just complete the form on the columbia calling website that's www.columbiacalling.co or the bnb columbia tours website that's www.bnbcolumbia.com and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive columbian adventure so that's bnbcolumbia.com and latin news Com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your headlines for the week of September 4th, 2023. The president's son, Nicolas Petro, has lost his second lawyer in the case against him for illicit enrichment and money laundering, a case which has called into question the legitimacy of President Gustavo Petro's own campaign funding. Defence lawyer David Telecki has resigned just one month after the former lawyer Juan Trujillo did. He said the reasons for his resignation are of a personal nature. Trujillo, meanwhile, had resigned due to a difference of criteria, announced the day after Nicolás Petro declared his intention to collaborate with the prosecutor's office, a strategy on which the lawyer had reportedly disagreed. Talks with FARC dissident group the EMC or Estado Mayor Central have progressed with the launching of a dialogue mechanism, along with the creation of protocols for protection of the civilian population and a temporary national bilateral ceasefire. All this in advance of a new round of talks opening on the 17th of September. This is the end of an exploratory phase between the government and this armed group, which has been in process since the beginning of the government under the supervision of various international representatives. Initially, the EMC and the government had announced this dialogue table for May, but following the killing of four children in Putumayo, a resultant crisis prevented further progress. This process is one of seven currently underway under the policy of total peace, 
The other major process with the ELN guerrilla group, the Ejército de Liberación Nacional, has just reached the end of the first month of its agreed ceasefire. Preliminary reports from civil society suggest that there were between 6 and 16 breaches attributable to the ELN and at least two to the security forces. Incidents during the first month of the ceasefire include confinement, displacement and kidnapping in areas including Chocó, Nariño, Antioquia and Arauca, among others. Though the ceasefire has seen a notable decrease in confrontations, clashes with other armed groups have continued. Many are calling for ceasefires to be negotiated not just between armed groups and the government, but between the armed groups themselves. In historical justice news, retired General Mario Montoya, commander of the army under President Alvaro Uribe, has been charged by the Special Peace Tribunal, the JEP, with extrajudicial execution, killing civilians and falsely presenting them as combat casualties, a scandal known in Colombia as false positives and part of Macro Case 3 under investigation by the court. Montoya had denied responsibility, but the court has concluded that between 2002 and 2003, there were 130 victims of execution under the unit commanded by Montoya. According to the court, Montoya himself instigated the commission of these murders. Those involved in the killings have often insisted that they were isolated events. The court has sought to show that they were in fact systematic and being carried out under orders and with incentives. In this case, magistrates have concluded that Montoya lied and covered up murders, pressured those under his command to produce casualties at all costs and used violent language that celebrated bloodshed. Along with Montoya and for these same crimes, eight men from his unit are charged. All now have 30 days to acknowledge or deny their responsibility. With regional elections on their way, polling is ramping up and has revealed already various key elections dominated by single candidates without real rival. October's regional elections will elect governors and deputies at departmental level and mayors and councillors at district and municipality level. In Medellin, former presidential candidate Federico Gutierrez leads polling with nearly 65%, the next candidate having only 11 In Cali, the leading candidate Roberto Ortiz leads by nearly 30%. And in Barranquilla, Alex Char, running for his third term as mayor, has a voting intention of 86%, with the next candidate down having only 6%. This, despite new book about the Char political clan La Costa Nostra by Laura Ardila, who reveals corruption and vote-buying by the family going back years. Gutierrez, Ortiz and Char belong to the country's right-wing opposition groups. The governorships of Valle de Cauca, Cundinamarca and Santander are also seeing clear winners and little real competition in their electoral polling thus far, all according to Imbamer. A public clash broke out this week between President Gustavo Petro and Argentina's leading candidate in the primaries for presidential elections. Ultra-right-wing candidate Javier Meli referred to socialists as human excrement, to which Petro responded, comparing him to Hitler. Meli then referred to Petro, in response, as part of the decay. Colombia's labour market has recovered 1.1 million jobs in the last year, according to the National Statistics Agency, shaking off the crisis caused by the pandemic. 674,000 jobs were reportedly recovered by women, 
while 453,000 went to men. Those were your headlines for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is episode 485 of the Columbia Calling podcast. I'm Richard McCall here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is quite a special episode, this episode 485. We have special guest Oscar Parra, who is a, well, a renowned journalist here in Colombia. But we're also bringing on someone else onto the show who I've had communication with for a couple of years now. She's uh, starting out as a journalist, and she's the one who put us in contact. So we've got Natalia Malaver, who will be co-hosting as well today to talk about the Mennonite communities in Colombia. And not many people know much about this. Uh, so what I'm going to do now is just go over to over to Natalia, and she can present herself. She can introduce herself to you. She has studied journalism at the University of Sussex. That's in Brighton. She is an environmental engineer, journalist, makes documentaries. Uh, and she's the one that put us in contact. So perhaps now, Natalia, over to you. Well, thank you, Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, uh, Oscar. Um, very pleased to be here and um, very pleased to be in the podcast for the first time. So I'm going to be introducing Oscar. Oscar Parra is an engineer and a journalist with 15 years of experience researching and covering armed conflict in Colombia, as well as diverse political and human rights issues. He's also a journalism professor at the Universidad del Rosario, and in 2014, he created Rutas del Conflicto, which is an independent media outlet that gathers reliable information on the armed conflict in Colombia, blending traditional and digital formats, including data, investigative, and citizen journalism tools. Rutas del Conflicto was born aiming to showcase stories of the conflict that had not been documented by the traditional press or the state in official documents. One of their main stories focuses on the Mennonites' land occupation in the Colombian plains, Los Llanos Orientales, since studies made by Rutas del Conflicto and Mongabay showed that in Latin America, this religious group already has 204 14 colonies and cover 3.9 million hectares, an area bigger than the Netherlands. In Colombia, the Mennonites colonies are located in the rural area of Puerto Gaitan, occupying at least 32,552 hectares. Therefore, we will be discussing with Oscar how these colonies arrived in the country and how they are affecting neighboring communities, the particular way in which they acquired this land, and the damaging effects they've had on the surrounding environment welcome oscar to the podcast oscar you're up. sound you. sound can you hear me yes okay yeah. thank you to both of you to natalia to richard um just i'm just very happy to be here to tell you about our job all right so oscar i'm i'm fascinated i'm fascinated i know about mennonite communities in bolivia i know about mennonite communities in mexico and amongst other places, but we never knew anything about the Mennonites here in Colombia. So I think we start with the very basics. Uh, when did they arrive in Colombia? We have to clarify something that we have a, a, a big uh, Mennonite uh, colony in Colombia like uh, 50 or 60 years ago. 
and because we have in the Mennonite church different arm, different ways. So we have uh, some uh, people here from this kind of faith, uh, like seven years ago. But uh, these colonies that arrived like uh, nine, eight years ago are different from these other people. And this one came from Mexico, and the origin of these communities uh, are from uh, they are they they were from Europe, the, the center of Europe. They went to Canada uh, at the beginning of the uh, 20th century, and then they pass they go they went to to Mexico, and they went to uh, Paraguay, they went to Bolivia, and like. Uh, eight or six, eight, nine years ago, they are finally arrived to Colombia. Mm-hmm. This uh, special way of the um, Mennonite faith, uh, they believe a lot in the relationship between the, the community and the land. So most of them uh, are farmers. And, but they, they, I think the, the investigation shows that more than farmers, they are, are like a huge uh, agroindustrial companies mm-hmm. uh, because of the when you see the the money you if, when you see the the magnitude the the of the inversion and also of the produce the, the money that they have mm-hmm. uh, you can see that they are more like a company than a group of farmers okay um and and as natalia said they're based in the llanos orientales uh and close to puerto gaitan uh mm-hmm. how how did they get this land <laughs> we don't know we every we we have just uh talked with them just once and and uh, a colleague of mine uh, another journalist who who interviewed them uh, she asked uh, how they uh knew about Puerto Gaitan and uh, about this region in Colombia. And they say that uh, in like in 2013, 2014, uh, someone in the United States told them that uh, here in Colombia, we had a big region uh, where they can came and have a big plantation uh, and that we have facilities and the region was close to Bogota. So they say that they came, but they they didn't say uh, who was the person that uh, gave them this information. Ah, because I I know when we talked about the history and them coming, you know, from Canada, because Canada actually expelled them at the beginning of the 20th century. I remember this story. And Colombia, you know, Bolivia, not no civil conflict, <laughs> Paraguay very minor civil conflict if we're actually considering it but colombia there's a very long running very well known civil conflict it's not doesn't seem like the obvious place for you know a mennonite community to set up and the llanos orientales have have lived some of the worst issues of the conflict so how does this how how did i mean you know you have to give me some more background on this i mean are they not at risk because there were the Mennonites in Tijuana recently or near to the border with Mexico who were a dreadful murder of a whole family. And I think they're leaving there because of this issue. So, I mean, it has to be similar for them 
here in Colombia, no? Okay. Here we have a couple of issues about that. Um, the first one is that uh, after the, the the peace process with paramilitary groups in 2006, mm -hmm. this region has like a peace period mm -hmm. uh, that uh, was uh, used by the Colombian government to invite a lot of big companies, national and international big companies, to to come to to change the use of this land to create a, a massive uh, field of uh, or rice or corn uh, cultivars. I don't know if I am trying yep. to explain. It's okay, fine. But, it's fine. Uh, so the Colombian government, especially between 2004 2005, invite a lot of companies. Uh, for example, an, an American company, Cargill, Cargill, that uh, is, uh, is Cargill, one of the yeah. biggest uh, agricultural companies in the world. Uh, so in, in these years, uh, during this, the next 10 years, a lot of people, a lot of big companies, national and international, came here and bought a lot of land, but mm -hmm. huge, huge uh, farms uh, with uh, land that was that was from the indigenous communities like 40 or 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this place, we have like a special piece created by the Colombian government to bring this kind of industries. And also uh, gas, petrol and gas companies there. Mm. Uh, so there was like a big movement of the Colombian, uh, Colombian government to create this space to bring companies. Okay, this okay. is one. And the other thing is maybe sometimes these uh, Mennonites, these Mennonite colonies in Mexico and other uh, sites uh, in America Latina, uh, were victims of violence, also in Paraguay, but they also leave these places because they uh, committed environmental crimes, oh. and they leave the countries um, because they have a lot of um, problems with the, the justice and start to move to other countries. Uh, this is one important thing uh, that these colonies came to um, uh, Latin America because our uh, uh, rule of law are so weak uh, if you compare, for example, with Canada or the United mm -hmm. States. And they can use, for example, land and they can, uh, how can I say, uh, they can change, for example, the environmental, the environmental places without any strong position of, from the state because most of these states... Uh, see them like like money like big companies they they are trying to, they bring some money to these countries so they don't see a problem uh, in the in most of these cases uh, where the the Mennonite colonies uh, goes okay. go i understand natalia as you have an environmental engineer background perhaps yeah. we, we could talk about some of these environmental crimes yeah I read uh, the study made by Rutas del Conflicto, and I found out that um, it's not only deforestation, one of the damages they are causing to the environment, but they are also building infrastructure that is not supposed to be in these lands. For example, they have built bridges uh, made of concrete uh, that are not do not really go well with the environment there, and they are doing all of this without the proper permission beforehand. 
They also are constructing wells to make use of the underground water, um, which is not something they they are legally doing. So they are doing a lot of activities that are now being um, actually filed by Corpo Macarena. Uh-huh. Uh, I understand that Corpo Macarena has actually filed um, uh, some procedures in order to make them stop, but nothing has been really that strict or um, effective for them to stop doing all of this. Uh, do you know what's been happening uh, in the last few months? Has anything changed uh, regarding uh, the environmental authorities that are supposed to be taking care of these lands, which are actually one of the most biodiverse in the country? Well, actually, uh, last uh, Monday or last Tuesday, I don't remember, we published an, a new um, update of our investigation. Uh, and we showed that, uh, I don't know, I think it's seven, at least seven uh, Mennonites uh, has investigation for the Fiscalía General de la Nación, the Colombian torment. So they have... Uh, uh, they have cases in the Colombian justice for environmental cases, especially because they, uh, I don't know how can I say in English, deforestation, maybe, I don't know if it's the, this word. Yeah. Yes, deforestation. The first, uh, they deforestate a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but uh, uh, some some hectares uh, in this land. Mm-hmm. And I also think that mm, mm, these communities has a, a special view of the land so they don't they don't see a big value uh, in a forest in a small forest or something like this they just see the land to produce food mm. so uh, i think this is the, pro- the the big problem in these communities because uh, when they see only this in this way uh, they sometimes destroy part of the nature mm. uh, and that's why they have these cases in the colombian justice uh, and this view uh, have a big problem with the view with the indigenous people who live close there. And to uh, these indigenous communities are just saying to the Colombian justice and Colombian government, we live there for hundreds and hundreds of years. We need this land back. And they have a very, uh, very difficult conflict between these two communities, the, the, the indigenous communities of Colombia and these colon- uh, Mennonites colonies. Because of this, because we have, because they are just have a legal fighting mm. uh, for this land, and they have a very different views uh, about the use of this land. So the Mennonites see it as plainly production, and do mm. they sell to? I don't. Will we? Do we see that their their whatever they produce? Does it turn up in in Corabastos? Does it turn up in uh, Palo Quemao? Where does what did, where, what did they produce? Where does it go? We, we, we need to think that they have between 38,000 and 84,000 uh, 84, hectares. So it's huge, the land. It's huge. We don't know exactly how much because we have, we, have, we in, in our investigation, we checked 38,000, but they talk about 44,000. This land is huge. This is not uh, about to produce uh, a small amount of food to sell in Corabastos or uh, no. They have a huge production who sell to 
another big uh, food companies close to them. For example, uh, one of these, one of uh, their neighbors, neighbors are La Facenda, which is uh, one of the biggest mark brand, sorry, brand um, of uh, pork in Colombia. So uh, part of this food that they produce uh, are uh, uh, sold to uh, to the La Facenda. Uh, also, they sell rice to one of these, the biggest company of rice in Colombia, uh, Florhuila. So we see like a, a huge production of food. This is not like a, it's, it's difficult to see, uh, to see them like a small farmer. No, uh, we have also in this investigation, we invite all of the people that are heard, that are listening this this program that if you can just go to Ruta del Conflicto and see the, our investigation. Uh, we, we also found a lot of uh, records of amount of money that they bring to Colombia, and it's it is no uh, and it's a lot of money. Also because they transform the land a lot, and that for that we need money, a lot of money. And also, for example, they put electricity in for in, in this in this area. They uh, build a lot of uh, some schools, all the infrastructure to to live. Um, so we are not talking about some farmers. We are talking about uh, a community that uh, works uh, like a big company. Exactly. I how many how many people in that community then? Oof, I I think like uh, one hundred and twenty families, like about five thousand six hundred people. So 5,600 people working and inhabiting an area of Colombia that's bigger than the Netherlands. Yes, it's, exactly. it's amazing, isn't it? And and when you've done these investigations, have you been down to the land and been down and seen their projects? Yes. Uh, um, my colleague, Pilar Puentes, um, she traveled there like three years ago with another uh, colleague. Uh, both of them, they were... Uh, to the colony, they talk with them. Um, they also they also work with the, the, the indigenous co uh, community. That in this in this travel uh, in this trip, uh, they were with the community indigenous community when the, this community uh, went uh, like by force inside of the the land. Uh, it was. We, we try to to show how this conflict ha, uh, has been just higher and higher and higher, and we have some cases of violence there. The the the, the, the some leaders of the indigenous communities have said that uh, they have received thre uh, threatens. Th how can I say threats? It? Threats. Threats. Yeah. threats. Sorry, threats, and also uh, the the violence there is, uh, has been. Uh, high and high uh, during the last two or three years, uh, but it's difficult to to say who is the 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 actor that are producing this violence. But uh, every time we have more and more and more news about this place and news related to this conflict between the indigenous community and the Mennonites colonies. Okay. I yeah, sorry. I I read that the police. Um, and the, the police forces of Colombia actually took them out of the territory to the Su Sikwani community, right? Which is the indigenous people 
who are demanding for this land. Um, but I find it quite interesting that um, apparently the police there is uh, taking care of the Sikwani communities living there and they remove them by force, but they are until now, so far, they have done nothing uh, regarding the Mennonites communities. I don't know if this is because they have some kind of legal protection. What do you know about that? Why uh, they are like so balanced towards one side and not the other? What's happening there? Well, I have just five minutes, sorry. Uh, but this is very important uh, because I think historically, the Colombian government, the Colombian state, have taken uh, advantage uh, of the situation in favor, I can say, in favor yeah. of the of the Mennonites colonies mm. and in the, or the companies, mm. you know, and against the farmers or against the indigenous or Afro communities, mm. uh, not just in this place of Colombia, in several places of Colombia. We have showed in several investigations how, um, how uh, economic powers uh, in join with political powers to uh, I don't know how can I say in English capturar or cooptar the the Colombian government the Colombian state so it's very easy to see in this case for example the govern the the governor the governor of El Meta of the department of the state in Colombia talking all the time in media about the uh, Mennonites colony. Yeah, because they say they pay taxes, they bring progress, and they don't talk anything about the, the indigenous um, communities. So we have here the like a fight between two different models, and one of these models have been supported by the Colombian government, the Colombian state. We can see just in uh, small events like, for example, uh, where. Uh, what Natalia were talking about, uh, the support of the police, for example, to push out the, uh, the indigenous Sikwani from uh, a piece of land. But also uh, in the past, uh, for example, this land were from the com uh, indigenous community for hundreds of years. And the, the Colombian government, they, how can I say, unknown? Like they say, no, I they, they are not your territory. You don't have paper to show that it's your territory. So there was like a transformation. There was a legal, uh, how can I say, dispossess, despojo, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Um, of these communities uh, to support this huge business uh, of agriculture in the last 20 years, agriculture, but also in the past, uh, petrol there. Uh, and also you can see because all the uh, Colombian uh, army and the Colombian police have worked in this way, no, mm -hmm. to protect all these inversions, all these uh, how can I say inversions? But, investments. investments. Everybody yeah. knows. Everybody knows. Okay, <laughs> uh, Oscar, I know you have to run. I know you have to run. I just have one last question before you, and then Natalia and I will talk. But uh, did this growth largely come? under the Santos government after the 2016 peace accord, or is it something that occurred before? The, the process uh, or to arrive of, okay, all these companies start to arrive. Uh, I think the first company 
to get there was a petrol company in 2003, and mm-hmm. he was and the, it was brought by uh, Alvaro Uribe Vélez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think during the second period of Alvaro Uribe Vélez, they invited they invited the government of the Alvaro Uribe Vélez invited a lot of companies like La Facenda, Cargill, eh, Monica Semilla, eh, okay, the, the the richest man of of Colombia, eh, Luis Carlos Sarmiento, also get there to buy huge pieces of land, but especially the case of the, the Mennonite colonies were from the first government, between first and second government of Juan Manuel Santos, 2014, 2015. Yeah, I figured as much. But, uh, Oscar, you have to go, I should send everyone to your website, rutasdelconflicto.com, dot com. Yeah, it's, it's it's an excellent, excellent website for all of the news about the conflict here in Colombia that's not reported, obviously, in the mainstream media. And that's a little bit of what we try to do here in, in the Colombia Calling podcast. Oscar, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, we'll get to talk to you again, because I can see that there's a wealth of knowledge that we have yet to tap. Uh, so thank you uh, for your time. Uh, Natalia and I will continue to to discuss the Mennonites in Colombia and this sort of land dispossession. Adios, Oscar. Okay, gracias. Thanks. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you and congratulations for the work you do. It's very necessary here in Colombia. Thanks a lot and thanks to help us to show our our investigation. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So unfortunately, our time with Oscar is up. He's a very, very busy man, but I cannot impress upon you enough the Rutas del Conflicto, rutasdelconflicto.com. Natalia, it's you and I chatting now. You, uh, I, I have more questions, and I know you've done your research, so you can help me out on this. I have more yeah. questions. Now, this exploitation of the land from an environmental perspective. And, you know, these these areas of Meta and Guaviare, which is just straight south from Bogota. So that's where we put them into yeah. context. Uh, they, You mentioned as well that it's incredibly environmentally delicate and diverse. It's where the plains meet the Amazon. What uh, We have a government in power underneath uh, the, uh, Gustavo Petro that is a very environmentally minded government. This is one of their key pillars. Do you see any, as someone who knows so much about the environment here, do you see that the government might react to the, let's say, the negative uh, presence of Mennonite communities here? Do you see that they might actually get involved? Susanna Muhammad, who's the Minister for the Environment. What do you think about this? Yeah, one might hope so. And um, I was actually really surprised that there are already several, I think it's like over 15 filed allegations against um, the damage that that they're causing to the environment in these regions. But it's sad to know that so far, it's only been like the, the situation has just been led there. There is no much uh, progress that at least until the last days we, we have seen. And um, it's something that happens very often in Colombia that maybe the 
the there are some allegations and the corporation the environmental corporations of each region um make some legal uh movement but we don't see any fast progress that can really avoid these communities and many other um different industries um the deforestation that is happening yeah. uh in the entire country but uh with mennonites i think um we have to to take into account that what they're doing is not only the deforesting but they are also changing the land use which is something that um over the years is going to have diverse impacts on the environment uh and i think fauna and flora of meta of the meta department is going to be greatly affected by bees uh, unfortunately there is not still a great um or an massive uh, research on the effects on the environment because i guess it's really hard to get to uh this place and field reporting probably is very very uh difficult but uh i think it's already uh important to know that there are media outlets like ruta del conflicto who are already doing their research and are constantly um reporting on what's happening um So hopefully someone else <laughs> uh listens to this podcast and pays more attention to the Mennonites because I think it's completely overwhelming uh to know that they are doing all of these that they without any legal consequence are occupying these lands who are actually who that were acquired um through very rare methods mm. and um that they have really not had any repercussion on this mm. so hopefully in the future we can see more um research on this and um we can find new ways to find solutions it's a t it's tough isn't it because you have the first as you as oscar mentioned you know the governor of meta be oh, look at the production look at the taxes look at the but This is short term because the environment is long term. And I, we do have listeners who are very, very involved in environmental protection. And I've had the head of the Norwegian sort of environmental group here. Uh, uh, he's been on the show and people who are academics. But, you know, academic, unfortunately, reporting goes to academics and doesn't go oh, into wait. the, doesn't go to like, yeah. let's say, headlines in Caracol uh and or rcn well of course they wouldn't because like oscar mentioned luis carlos sarmiento who owns most of those things is is one of the huge landowners but like you said it's a far off place that's difficult to get to difficult to see what's happening i believe similar sort of things not not with the Mennonites, but similar sort of things are happening in Valpez, Guainia, other far-off mm -hmm. departments with no real communication. This is what the worry is, that one day we'll find out and it will be too late. Um, I'm I'm curious, though, about all of this, because I just, it's 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 so hard. I, I We knew that the government of Alvaro Uribe was promoting it, and we also knew that the government of Juan Manuel Santos was pushing it. And of course, the Duque government as well, 
has pushed things massively towards China and everything else, and this and another. Uh, and now we've got an environmental government. I, I really need, I think this government we have right now has a lot of good ideas when it comes to the environment. A lot of, I mean, they're ideas so far. <laughs> um, and given the difficulties that they are having with scandals surrounding the president, the president's son, blah, 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 mm. you would think that he would focus on some environmental norms to score some quick wins, if you know what I mean, to get some political yeah. traction. Uh, I, I, as we wind this down, Natalia, I want to ask, what do you feel might be an outcome of these communities, the like the Mennonite community there in, in Meta? The indigenous people of the Sikwani are not happy. The traditional communities, the Afro communities are not happy. Do you think there's a possibility of even more violence? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's what's, what's happened in other countries. And that's why they actually in 2014 made the decision to come to Colombia. Um, according to what Monga Bay and Ruta del Conflicto find, found out, um, in Mexico, they were already having a lot of trouble with mm -hmm. uh, farmers in Mexico. And they found that the conflict was already too hard to deal with. And they came to Colombia uh, for that and for many other reasons. They found uh, more water available for their production here too, because they had already exploited uh, land in Mexico. And it's sad because I've seen that uh, they are already in five countries in Latin America and the damage they're doing doesn't seem to stop. Mm. And uh, uh, as Oscar said, we don't have strict regulations to avoid um, all of this damage to, mm. to happen. And I think it's something that definitely the government ne needs to look uh, more deeply into. But um, I have not seen um, Susana, uh, the Minister of the Environment in Colombia, talked about this, at least not uh, so far until now. And I don't know if it's because the Mennonites work in such a silent way that uh, we are only um, discovering what's happening, which is a, sh a shame, really, because uh, I fear that we'll see in 10 years' time the damage they have done mm -hmm. and the loss of species that they probably will cause, they are already causing, and there's nothing else to do. Um, and as you said, the agenda in Colombia is so busy with so many other uh, issues uh, that seem more important than the environment, even though this government um, regards so dearly apparently uh doesn't seem to be so important the uh the budget for example for the environment the ministry of environment is not as high as people expected so i mean we hope that things um definitely improve in the environmental uh, aspect of colombia but um but by what I've seen, things are moving really slow, and there are many different um, environmental issues that need to need more attention and need more action and more like a faster uh, action. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be happening because 
for example, a, a very um, dis uh, discussed matter these days, which is the um, I don't know the re I don't know how to say it in English actually, but um, that there are there there's lots of species in different regions of Colombia, and there are some measures to be taken uh, according to the scientists of Colombia who have been researching on these matters for many years and um the ministry of environment seems to agree on this but they are not really taking action so everything moves really slow in colombia and i think that's the biggest issue if we tackle that we're probably going to get results in the three years that this government has left but yeah we need more action for sure yeah. It's it's tough when you say, you know, there's all these these cases that are in the fiscal year, but it's all tangled up in legal aid. Obviously, you know, the case has been brought against whomever, and we're not just identifying the you know, the, the topic of this podcast is the Mennonites, but it's it's really a, a catch-all topic for what's going on in in Meta, Guaviare, and places like that. Let's not even get started on palm oil, but um it it's a catch-all. It's not directed at them for any religious persecution or anything like this it's just the environmental damage but as you say it all gets caught up in the fiscalia so in the in the courts and then of course they uh submit you know they reject it and it comes back and it comes back and it comes back and before we know it we're in the next government <laughs> and so therefore yeah. and then they have the was it called the lady I can't remember when they uh, they archive the 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 cases after a certain amount of time. It's, I can't remember. Ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. They yeah. are it disregarded. Just, it, yeah, somehow. It just they just get put away, and then that's yeah. it, and that's it. And so this is the legal issues, and uh, it's it's very hard. It's very hard to see how this can be. Uh, you know, even dealt with if it's not getting the coverage that it needs. And uh, I don't know. I mean. Uh, you know, Natalia, you are a journalist, you are a documentary maker, you're an environmental engineer. I think you need to get down there with your camera uh, and, and get down there with an academic or two and film some stuff and, and do some interviews. Of course, don't take any risks that might get you in trouble. But I think I think we need start need, need you know, it, it needs to be seen. It needs to be seen. Yeah. I don't know. I understand. So tell me, Natalia, what is your next project? What are you going to be working on next? Because we know that you, you, you know, you, you studied at the University of Sussex. You've studied all of the right things. Um, you said this year I'm working on journalism. Journalism is my passion. What can we see you in next, or where can we see your writing next? Well, um, I have been researching on um, a very important problem in my uh, homeland, uh -huh. in my uh, in my home city, which is Sogamoso. Mm -hmm. um, there is a very important uh, lake um, that is very well known in Colombia, which is La Laguna de Tota, Tota sí. which is uh, heavily polluted, uh, and this is an issue that has been happening for years but no one really has paid uh, a lot of attention to and uh, there's already research made uh, in the academia precisely by some great biologists but this um, 
uh, investigations have not really come out to the public. So my idea is to keep on digging what's really happening in La Laguna de Tota because there are so many issues around this matter that really need more attention and find out why the Laguna is so polluted we, uh, which are the, the causes that, of these and um, try and help my community somehow because my own family is being affected by this. Um, two years ago, uh, there was there were allegations that the Laguna was polluted uh, by with heavy metals. Mm-hmm. And this is an investigation that has not really um uh, had any result yet. Like we don't know um, the current state of the Laguna. We don't know if, the, if heavy metals are really present there or not, because there were some uh, laboratory um, studies made there by CAR Cundinamarca, the regional environmental corporation of Cundinamarca. And I saw um, how they uh, take how they took samples of the water of the Laguna, but the results of these uh, never really made it to the public. We don't know um, what they found out there. So I'm trying to find out what's happening there. And when I, whenever I do have an answer, I will publish it for sure. And I will do it through uh, a new project that I'm doing, which is Greenly Bachue. Um, uh, I'm trying to communicate science um, in social media because now it's a great outlet to to use, to make use of. And um, in my channel in Green Libertre, I'll try to communicate diverse environmental matters that um, are relevant in Colombia and in the world. Okay, yeah. so green Leaf Bachwe. Green Leaf. Green Lee. Bachue. Bachue, which is uh, a goddess um, very important in Colombian history. <laughs> I would expect, and Laguna de Tota is phenomenal. It's so beautiful. And then there's that area that the, you know, the white sand beach. So if you catch it on a good day, and you know, it look, could look like the Caribbean with the blue and the white sand. Yeah, beach. It's really I cool. went on a bad day, and it was so cold. <laughs> it was so cold. Oh, it's extremely cold for sure. Uh, um, but um, I would imagine there's also a lot of uh, pollution from pesticides from the farming yeah. communities around there as well. And then, of course, there's coal nearby as well, isn't there? So there has to be some heavy methods coming in through from these places. So yes. I hadn't thought about it. I think it's probably a very, very important information. So do you? is your Greenlee Batchway, is it on YouTube? Or where can we see it? Yeah, it's mainly um, in Instagram. It's an okay. Instagram account for now, but I do also have a YouTube account mm-hmm. uh, where I publish like the largest um, documentaries that I make. Well, I do mini documentaries, you yeah. know, because na- nowadays uh, audiences don't like long. No, they don't listen. <laughs> uh, they don't listen. Stories to you pay attention to, yeah. Yeah, th- we, we, we know that here on the podcast too. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it's on. nice to know that your audience uh, really listens for a longer period of time. That doesn't happen anymore. No, we're one of the few, I think. Uh, but anyway, it's it's very nice. Listen, so Natalia, 
I should say thank you so much for getting Oscar, uh, doing the hard work and the research. Uh, it was really special to listen to Oscar Parra, uh, and I'm sure we'll get him on again because uh, he's so. got too much to talk about. Natalia Malaver, uh, it's been really fun, and we've had communication for more than two years. Now we finally meet, albeit yeah, virtually. Uh, <laughs> uh, but now I know what you're doing, the Greenlee Batchway. I'll put it up on our social media and so on. Oh, thank um, you. And thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your enthusiasm in the podcast. And, and anyone out there listening who needs a documentary maker, who needs a go-getter journalist, you know, you, know, you can find her. It's, it's not hard to find her on social media. We've got to help one another out. So, Natalia, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for, for your generosity. Thank you so much for this space. And it was great listening to you and to Oscar and learning from both of you. <laughs> That's fine. You know? no, yeah. Flattery will obviously get you everywhere. And <laughs> as I said, as I say to everyone in journalism, and you know, especially when starting out, question everything. Question everything. Uh -huh. Don't take no for an answer. So this has been episode 485. Can you believe it? Or is it 450? Yeah, I can't remember. Four, four, I don't remember. It's so long. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for this. And it has been incredible listening to both Natalia Malaver and Oscar Parra. We'll be back next week with more interesting interviews here about Colombia. What did you think of last week's with Emily? Uh, described as the ineffable Emily by one of our listeners. Uh, Emily's talking to Maria F. Fitzgerald about her book. I actually got to meet Maria at an event here in Bogota. What an amazing person, amazing journalist. Prior to that, we had Ricardo Cuides from Codes talking about human rights and displacement in the Canal del Dique area. So we're always trying to, you know, mix it up a bit and tell the stories that aren't being told here in Colombia. If you want to support us, you can check out www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. You'll find that link all over our social media as well. Thank you again to everyone. And please subscribe and stay listening. So that's been me and Natalia for this week. Bye-bye. Bye. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own just complete the form on the columbia calling website that's www.columbiacalling.co or the bnb columbia tours website that's www.bnbcolombia.com and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive colombian adventure so that's bnbcolombia.com and latin news Dot com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors.